Hello and welcome again to the podcast of the Golden Book of Marcus Aurelius. A reminder, first of all, that there's a website to go with this podcast. It's at www.themapodcast.wordpress.com. And there's also a book, links to which you can find on the website, but it's available on Amazon if you search for the Golden Book of Marcus Aurelius and my name. My name is Barry Vickers. You're very welcome. And this episode is book two or the second chapter of the golden book of marcus aurelius um book two is my favorite chapter of the golden book marcus is setting out his stall now he discusses life death and the fleetings of time and the universe and the natural order of things I'm beginning to get a sense of what this book is about now it's also interestingly the only book that ends by nominating a place where this book was written he mentions that it was written well he says this at Corinthum so it's nice that we can envisage Marcus in that location thinking about all these issues so let's get started book two begin the morning by saying to yourself I shall meet with the busybody the ungrateful the arrogant deceitful envious unsocial all these things happen to them by reason of their ignorance of what is good and evil. But I, who have seen the nature of the good that is beautiful and of the bad that is ugly, and the nature of him who does wrong, and that is akin to me, not only of the same blood or seed, but that it participates in the same intelligence and the same portion of divinity, I can neither be injured by any of them, for no one can fix on me what is ugly, nor can I be angry with my kinsmen, nor hate him. For we are made for cooperation like feet, like hands, like eyelids like the rows of the upper and lower teeth. To act against one another is contrary to nature, and it's acting against one another to be vexed and to turn away. Whatever this is that I am, it is a little flesh and breath and the ruling part. Throw away thy books, no longer distract thyself, it is not allowed. But, as if thou wast now dying, despise the flesh. It is blood and bones and a network, a contexture of nerves, veins and arteries. See the breath also, what kind of thing it is, air, and not always the same, but every moment sent out again, sucked in. The third then is the ruling part. Consider this, thou art an old man. No longer let this be a slave, no longer be pulled by the strings like a puppet to unsocial movements, no longer either to be satisfied by thy present lot or shrink from the future. All that is from the gods is full of providence. That which is from fortune is not separated from nature, or without any interweaving and involution with the things which are ordered by providence. From thence all things flow, and there is besides necessity, and that which is for the advantage of the whole universe of which thou art a part. But that is good for every part of nature which the nature of the whole brings, and what serves to maintain this nature. Now, the universe is preserved, as by the changes of the elements, so by the changes of things compounded by the elements. Let these principles be enough for thee, let them always be fixed opinions, but cast away the thirst after books, that thou mayest not die murmuring, but cheerfully, truly am from thy heart, thankful from the gods. Remember how long thou hast been putting off these things, and how often thou hast received an opportunity from the gods, and yet does not use it. Thou must now at last perceive of what universe thou art a part, and 
of what administrator of the universe thy existence is the, is the afflux, and that a limit of time is fixed for thee, which, if thou dost not use for clearing away the clouds from thy mind, it will go, and thou wilt go, and it will never return. Every Roman think steadily as a Roman and a man to do what thou hast in hand with perfect and simple dignity and feeling of affection and freedom and justice, and to give thyself relief from all other thoughts. And thou wilt give thyself relief if thou doest every act of thy life as if it were the last, laying aside all carelessness and passionate aversion from the commands of reason, and all hypocrisy and self-love, and discontent with the portion which has been given to thee. Thou seest how few the things are the which, if a man lays hold of, he is able to live a life which flows in a quiet, and is like the existence of the gods. For the gods, on their part, will require nothing more from him who observes these things. Do wrong to thyself, do wrong to thyself, my soul, but thou wilt no longer have the opportunity of honouring thyself. Every man's life is sufficient. But thine is nearly finished, though thy soul reverences not itself, but places the felicity in the souls of others. Do the things external which fall upon thee distract thee? Give thyself time to learn something new and good, and cease to be whirled around. But then thou must also avoid being carried about the other way. For those too are triflers who have worried themselves in life by their activity, and yet have no object to which to direct every movement, and in a word, all their thoughts. Though not observing what is in the mind of another man has seldom been seen to be unhappy, but those who do not observe the movements of their own minds must of necessity be unhappy. This thou must always bear in mind. What is the nature of the whole, and what is my nature, and how is this related to that? And what kind of a part it is of what kind of a whole? And that there is no one who hinders thee from always doing and saying the things which are according to the nature of which thou art a part. Theophrastus, in his comparison of Vadax, such a comparison as one would make in accordance with the common notions of mankind, says, like a true philosopher, that the offences which are committed to desire are more blamable than those which are committed to anger. For he who is excited by anger seems to turn away from reason with a certain pain and unconscious contraction, but he who offends to desire, being overpowered by pleasure, seems to be in a manner more intemperate and more womanish in his offences. Rightly then, and in a way worthy of philosophy, he said that the offence which is committed with pleasure is more blamable than that which is committed with pain. And on the whole, the one is more like a person who has first wronged and through pain is compelled to be angry, but the other is moved by his own impulse to be wrong, being carried towards doing something by desire. Since it is possible that thou mayest depart from life this very moment, regulate every act and thought accordingly. But go away from among men if there are gods, it is not a thing to be afraid of, for the gods will not involve thee in evil. But if indeed they do exist, or if they have no concern about human affairs, what is it to me to live in a universe devoid of gods or devoid of providence? But in truth they do exist, and they do care for human things, and they have put all the means to man's power to enable him not to fall into real evils. And as to the rest, 
if there was anything evil, would they have provided for this also, that it should be altogether in a man's power not to fall into it? Now, that which does not make a man worse, how can it make a man's life worse? But neither through ignorance nor having the knowledge, but through the power to guard against or correct these things, it is possible that the nature of the universe has overlooked them. Nor is it possible that it is made so great a mistake, either through want of power or want of skill, that good and evil should happen indiscriminately to the good and the bad. But death certainly, and life, honour and dishonour, pain and pleasure, all these things equally happen to good men and bad, being things which make us neither better nor worse. Therefore they are neither good nor evil. How quickly all things disappear in the universe, the bodies themselves, but in time the remembrance of them, and particularly those which attract with the bait of pleasure or terrified by pain or annoyed abroad by vapory fame, how worthless and contemptible and sordid and perishable and dead they are. All this it is the part of the intellectual faculty to observe. To observe too who these are whose opinions and voices give reputation what death is, and the fact that if a man look at it in himself, and by the abstractive power of reflection resolves into their parts all things which present themselves to the imagination in it, he will then consider it to be nothing else than an operation of nature. And if anyone is afraid of an operation of nature, he is a child. This, however, is not only an operation of nature, but it is also a thing which conduces to the purposes of nature. To observe, too, how a man comes near to the deity and by what part of him, and when this part of man is so disposed. Nothing is more wretched than a man who traverses everything in around and pries into the things beneath the earth, as the poet says, and seeks by conjecture what is in the minds of his neighbours, without perceiving that it, it is sufficient to attend to the demon within him and to reverence it sincerely. And reverence of the demon consists in keeping it pure from passion and thoughtlessness and dissatisfaction from what comes from gods and men. For the things from the gods merit veneration for their excellence, and the things from men should be dear to us by reason of kinship, and sometimes even in a manner they move our pity by reason of men's ignorance of good and bad these defect being not less than that which deprives us of the power of distinguishing things that are white and black. Though thou shouldst be going to live three thousand years, and as many times ten thousand years, still remember that no man loses any other life than this which he now lives, nor lives any other than which he now loses. The longest and shortest are thus brought to the same, for the present is the same to all, though that which perishes is not the same, and so that which is lost appears to be a mere moment, for a man cannot lose either the past or the future, for what a man has not, how can anyone take from him? These two things then thou must bear in mind, the one, that all things from eternity are like forms and come round in a circle, and that it makes no difference whether a man shall see the same things during a hundred years or two hundred or an infinite time, and the second, that the longest liver and he who will die soonest lose just the same, for the present is the only thing of which a man can be deprived. If it is true that this is the only thing which he has, and that a man cannot lose a thing if he has it not. Remember that all is opinion, for what was said by the cynic Monimus is manifest, and manifest too 
is the use of what is said if a man receives what may be got out of it as far as it is true. The soul of a man does violence to itself, first of all, when it becomes an abscess and, as it were, a tumour on the universe so far as it can. For to be vexed at anything which happens is a separation of ourselves from nature in some part of which natures of all other things are contained. In the next place, the soul does violence to itself when it turns away from any man or even moves towards him with the intention of injuring. Such are the souls of those who are angry. In the third place, the soul does violence to itself when it is overpowered by pleasure or pain. Fourthly, when it plays a part or does or says anything insincerely and untruly. Fifthly, when it allows any act of its own and any movement to be without an aim and does anything thoughtlessly and without considering what it is, it being right that even the smallest things be done with reverence to an end. And the end of a rational animal is to follow the reason and the law of the most ancient city and polity. Of human life, the time is a point, and the substance is in flux, and the perception dull, and the composition of the whole body subject to putrefaction, and the soul whirl and fortune hard to divine, and fame a thing devoid of judgment. And to say all in a word, everything which belongs to the body is a stream, and belongs to the soul is a dream and vapour, and Life is a warfare and a stranger's sojourn, and after fame is oblivion. What then is that which is able to conduct a man? One thing, and only one, philosophy. But this consists in keeping the demon within a man free from violence and unharmed, superior to pains and pleasures, doing nothing without purpose, nor yet falsely and with hypocrisy, not feeling the need of another man's doing or not doing anything, and besides accepting all that happens and all that is allotted as coming from thence, wherever it is, from whence he himself came and finally waiting for death with a cheerful mind, as being nothing else than a dissolution of the elements of which every living being is compounded. But if there is no harm to the elements themselves and each continually changing into another, why should a man have any apprehension about the change and dissolution of all the elements? For it is according to nature, and nothing is evil which is according to nature. This in Corinthum. So, there is the end of the second book. I hope you've enjoyed it. It is my favourite. My name is Barry Vickers. And this is the podcast of the Golden Book of Marcus Aurelius, the website of which you can find at themapodcast.wordpress.com. Thank you very much. And Talk to you next time.